I'm Sharon Batters, and I'm so glad you've joined us for this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. The vision at Mark Inc. is to offer help and hope to hurting people. And one of the ways that we do that is through what we call redemption stories, where people who are maybe further along than us in life's journey, who have experienced really painful circumstances, maybe because of what others have done through no fault of their own, maybe even the sin of others. And yet their story is one of hope because of the pathway on which God has placed them. And I am so excited today to welcome you to this conversation that we are going to be having. We are going to be talking about a topic that is often experienced, the crisis in in loneliness and isolation because of fear of what other people might think or total devastation because of the choices of others. And I know that you're going to be encouraged, even if you've never experienced this life crisis, you're going to be better equipped to come alongside of a friend. And I hope that you will share this conversation with others who will be encouraged as well. And so now that I have your interest, our topic today is prodigal children. And my friends today who will be talking with me about this really important topic are Barbara Giuliani. She and her dad, Jack Miller, co-authored a book called Come Back Barbara, where they share the story of Barbara's wanderings and how her parents responded. And that seems to be the biggest question with prodigal children is how do we respond in a way that invites them back to the table? And Janian Wilson, who many of you may know is my sister, and Janian has been impacted by Barbara's life in ways that Barbara's going to find out during the conversation. So we're very excited to welcome you, Janian and Barbara, um, to this conversation. And so before we get started and dive into our topic, Barbara, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, I'm best known for a series of bad choices I made in my late teens and early 20s but I'm way older than that now. So I have four children and 10 grandchildren with one on the way. And my husband is a church planner and a pastor. And I work full-time at New Growth Press where I'm their editorial director. Very busy life. Yes. Especially with 10 grandchildren, trying to keep up with them. So Janie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am from Delaware married to my husband, David, for almost 40 years. And uh, we have four children and are celebrating the arrival almost of our fourth grandchild. So we spend a lot of time in Florida, where two of our grandchildren are, and also visiting in Virginia and also Delaware. We enjoy serving in the church. And we've done that through many, many years and through many different roles. Yes, and Janian has served on the women's the national women's ministry team for her denomination and just came off of that. So delving into grandparenting full-time, lots of fun. Well, Barbara, tell us your story for those who have never heard it and why your story can give hope to others who are walking that pathway of having prodigal children. I'll start with the end, which is why my story gives hope and I know that it gives people hope because of how far I went from the Lord in a very dramatic fashion. I have no idea what I was thinking at the time. So many people's hearts are far from the Lord, but not as many people do as many uh, ill-advised things as I did (laughs) during that journey. 
And I think the other reason that it gives people hope is that the Lord worked in my life against all odds. And um, I had a settled opinion that I would never, I grew up in a pastor's family. And so I knew what that was like up close. And I did not want to be a Christian. And embedded within that wish was never to be a pastor's wife. (laughs) So anyway, it's just amazing what the Lord does, despite ourselves. The quick version of my story is that my father was a pastor, a PCA pastor. My mother was a homemaker. They had five children. It was before homeschooling was a trend and we went to school and then we came home and we got homeschooled. So it was a very intellectual house, lots of books, lots of teaching about the Lord and everything else. But there was a understanding of the gospel in my house that wasn't quite the way Jesus taught it. And that was that, you know, you trusted in Jesus, you did the right thing and that the Lord was going to bless you. And one of the blessings that my parents expected was five children who would love the Lord and not really do anything wrong. As their fourth child, I led sort of a secret life for many years of lies and deceit, trying to please everybody. I really thought Christianity wasn't for me because I couldn't be a good person. And I knew that. So right around my teenage years, I just gave up on trying to please my parents and God, because I thought both those things were unavailable to me. And then I took sort of a wild journey. It was the 60s and the 70s, after all, of living with a guy, getting married, getting divorced, moving in with a drug dealer, helping him with his quote unquote business, and leaving him and then moving in with a bartender that I met at work. So my parents were along for that ride. Eventually, I pulled myself together and uh, decided that I was an embarrassment even to myself. (laughs) Went back to college, worked hard, ended up in graduate school. And it was there that the Lord met me. And who God was became inescapable to me. It was also when I realized that I was a sinner because I I, you know, I had made bad choices, but I didn't really think of those as sins. By then I was married to my last boyfriend, Angelo Giuliani, the Italian bartender. And he became a Christian a couple months after I did. And we moved from California back to Philadelphia because the only Christians we knew were my parents. And my father took Angelo under his wing, which meant that he became a pastor. (laughs) And here we are. We just celebrated our 45th first wedding anniversary, my husband and I. And in my family, the odds that Angela and I would last more than a year were lower than any of the other guys I'd been with. So the Lord's amazing. The Lord is amazing. And I was going to ask you why you're willing to share such a personal story. But the answer is obvious um, as to why you and your dad wrote this story because of so much that you experience and learned and your, your poor parents. I mean, I think about your poor parents and the shock of one of their children uh, going along on this pathway. And so I want to recommend to those of you who are listening, get the book, Come Back, Barbara. I think it's a classic. It's uh, been around since 1997 and it is still and will continue to impact people from all over the world with the hope and help of the gospel. 
just thank you and your dad who is with the Lord for your willingness to uh, share your story so transparently. So Jane, I know you have some questions. Yeah. When I was reading Comeback Barbara as the parent of a prodigal, I was fascinated by your mother, your father's and your mother's transparency. So could you describe your parents' reactions? My father was calmer than my mother. My mother, we always knew my mother was upset because she took to her bed <laughs> so, and became ill. So uh, that's how uh, our family dealt with our emotions. And so th- that's what she did. And my father came up to see me. I was in, I was at college when I finally announced to him, like, I'm not a Christian. I'm not going to be a Christian. And I'm going to live with this guy that I just met like three months before. And he came up and he sat down and he listened to me and he said, well, you know, God is a God of truth. So I'm happy that I know the truth and I'm happy that I know who you really are. That was, that was, that was pretty much it. I did not have a good relationship with my father at that time though. I I was actually pretty angry at him. I had a better relationship with my mother. And so I think one of the questions that uh, the parents of prodigals ask is, do they even care? Does my child even care about me? Does my child understand the impact of their choices on me and how they're breaking my heart? So did you even care that you knew you, you, kn- you had to know you were hurting your parents? Did you care that you were hurting them? You know, I did care, um, but I was also desperate. I was desperate to not live a false life anymore. And I was, you know, I had pretended to be a Christian for so long. It's a terrible burden. I don't, can't think of anything worse than trying to be a Christian when you're not. I mean, obviously there are worse things, but that's a hard thing. And um, I thought their expectations were unreasonable. I didn't know anybody in the real world who had that set of expectations and it felt more comforting and safe to be far from my parents and those expectations. And there was a moment. So this was a seven year journey. So one thing I would always say to parents is this is you're in this for the long haul with your child. And um, my impression of my parents is, was that they would only love and care for me. They would only really love me if I was a Christian. I wasn't so much thinking about whether I was hurting them as I was thinking about how their expectations had hurt me. I think that's typical of every child. Well, what was the worst thing and the best thing that your parents did? I think the hardest thing about growing up in my home was that there wasn't any room to be a sinner. And there was no confession of sin on the part of my parents to us or no acknowledgement that they could ever be wrong in their relationship with us or their relationship with each other. And that was especially fueled by my dad. And I know that it was also part and parcel of our culture at that time. Like parents were in charge and you did what you're supposed to do. You know, that they weren't out of line with people around them. So, but that did give me a false impression of what it meant to be a Christian. And I just thought you can't be a sinner and a Christian, which is so sad because that is what Christians are for. That was the worst thing. The best thing they did was 
two things. One, they pursued me. And the other was they became honest with me about their own need for Christ as they realized it. I mean, that wasn't our family ethos at the time, but it did become that. And that is what in the end gave me a pathway to understand that I too could be a Christian because we weren't so very different after all. So one thing, what I'm hearing you say, and your dad, I think captures it in the book, I mean, multiple times, but one of the things that he says is, I am not ignorant of human depravity, but I had long denied that it could exist in our family. Yes, and in in himself, in us, we were like, we were the Mellers, we were the smartest, the best, it was, it was weird, and it wasn't and it wasn't good. When I tell my kids, you know, oh, we used to come home from school and read Shakespeare out loud. They're like, oh, you're the weirdest people ever. That was the culture, the Christian culture, Mm -hmm. a a part of the Christian culture. If you're good parents, this is what you do. And Mm -hmm. your expectations, you know, if you raise them right, then they're going to uh, always walk with the Lord. They're going to be stellar. One of the things I love about the story is your dad learning humility. And he goes on and says that reality in your book, however, forced him to confront his own sin, seek forgiveness, admit his inability to change his wayward daughter and begin loving Barbara on God's terms. And those of you who are listening, that's the story you're going to hear in Comeback Barbara. And so what a takeaway for uh, parents that the humility that you're describing. I can imagine how painful that was for your parents to recognize that. When I look back, I, you know, it could only have been like a work of God because it was against everything sort of my father thought was right. And everything that he thought was right about how children behaved with their parents, you know, it was, so for him to be able, for me to be able to say to him, Yes, I am angry at you because you always acted like you were right about everything and you never said you were wrong. And for him to say, you, to me, you are right and I am sorry. I, like when I think about that, it's interesting. It just, it always convinces me that the Bible is true because I live that story, but it still sounds like a story to me. (laughs) Like it sounds like a little bit too good to be true, but it actually happened. I was there. My father actually asked for forgiveness. I'd never heard him do that before in my life. Well, as we continue to think about your story, I'm thinking at some point, your parents were able to, their recognition of their own sinfulness somehow impacted you. I mean, it it kind of woke you up, but it wasn't a one and done place, was it? No. And I, I often have people say to me, you know, I sat down with my child and I said to them what your father said to you, and it didn't make any difference. And I'm like, <laughs> right. well, maybe you should have said to your child what was in your heart. <laughs> but secondly, what my father's confession of sin, that was early on in this saga, maybe like a couple of years in. Yeah, it was after I was married and divorced. That didn't open my heart to God, but it did open my heart to my father. So we were able to build a relationship after that that was way different than anything we'd ever had before. 
Well, I think about the parents who are listening and, you know, as you described the way that you were raised, the gut reaction to this kind of behavior is to lay down the law, you know, until you behave the right way, you're not welcome here. Or if they're there, there's a wall of resentment toward the child or judgment. And I think we need to talk about that. You know, how do you love that child without making it seem like you're approving but Jamie and you had a moment with Barbara after a conference where mm-hmm. kind of talking about this very thing. You're in it for the long haul. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah, we we were really at the beginning of our journey as parents of a prodigal when I went to a women's event where you were there with your mother speaking and I knew your story and I was desperate for some relief from this awful pathway we were on. So so during the break, I told you some of my story. And through tears, I said to you, what about me? Is self-preservation okay? And I mean, I'm, I'm crying my eyes out to you. And you very evenly responded, there's no self-preservation in the gospel. And I did not like that answer at all. <laughs> but you had read me right. I was looking for an escape from this awful pathway that we were on. Your answer really was a pivotal point for me because God brought your words back to me again and again and continues to 12 years later. So thank you. But um, can you explain to the parents that are listening what you meant by your response? There's no self-preservation in the gospel. What does that look like? And what would you say are the most helpful things that a parent of a prodigal can do or say? Well, that's a big question. Let me say first, I hope I was sympathetic. I didn't need sympathy. <laughs> I needed cold water in my face. Well, then I guess it, that was fine. It was, it was God. I would say first that it is a significant suffering to have a child making bad choices. There's a lot of suffering there. But I do think that, you know, following Jesus is, you know, taking up your cross and following him. And it, your cross is not like some specific problem. It's actually just joining him on the way of death. But that way of death does lead towards life. And Jesus says that if we seek to preserve whatever we think means life to us, we're going to lose it. But if we follow him, then we will have real life. So that's just, you know, a short way of saying that what feels like death to us and is a death, like our dreams for our children, like, and there's nothing wrong with those dreams. But we also have to live in God's reality. And um, as Paul says in the beginning of Philippians, Philippians 1, he goes, I trust and eagerly expect that no matter what happens, I'll live in a way that honors Christ. And that's the gospel way. Let me just say this is that in some sense, my parents had a little clear path on how to have a relationship with me because I was out of the home and I was self-supporting. So it is very difficult when you have a child who is completely, you know, off the rails and you're still, they're still in your home, perhaps affecting other children and expecting monetary support. And that is much more usual today. I often have people coming to me with those kinds of questions. So I will say that it takes a lot of wisdom 
but I still stick stick with what my father said and come back, Barbara, that there's a lot of different directions to go. And if they were going to make a mistake, it was going to be the mistake uh, on the side of loving too much. And I don't think that's ever a mistake. Angelo and I, we, we were, you know, wild children. And then we wrote a book about it. So yes, there are some regrets, Sharon. <laughs> but I mean, I can't really be regretful, but maybe I, I wasn't really thinking too far ahead. But when uh, I wrote all that stuff down. So with our children, they had their ups and downs. They had their struggles. They weren't as my husband kept going, well, they're not as bad as we were. <laughs> like, can we set the bar a little higher? But, um, you know, it was just hanging in there with them. And it's the, you know, the wisdom you get from the spirit is in the moment. There's no like overall plan for how to love people. Like there is only asking God for help in the moment and thinking about what the need of the moment is, you know, and sometimes the need of the moment is if they're in your house is like, is setting boundaries that they need or taking away privileges that they shouldn't have. But if your child is older and out of the house, the need of the moment is welcome and love there. You know, Jesus was a friend of sinners. That was, that was the worst thing the Pharisees could think to say about him. And it's the best thing anybody ever said about him. And wouldn't that be the best thing that people could say about us? Is it necessary for a parent to continue to say, you know, I don't agree with what you're doing, but I'm going to love you anyway. How do you get that balance as a Christian? I don't know why we we think that our children are so clueless that they think we've somehow changed our morals and our theology in the face of their bad behavior, unless we said that to them. I've actually have seen parents who have changed what they think because they want so badly to be in their in a relationship with their child. So they'll just say, oh, that's it's fine that you're doing that. But without that, without actually saying that, our children are smart enough to know that we haven't changed those thoughts and we don't have to keep reiterating them. They, you know, you raise your children in a certain way and they know, and you live a certain way and they know. I don't know why Christians think that being nice to somebody means that you're accepting their bad behavior. Mm. I, I, I literally don't know why, like, I don't know why we put those things together, but it is a question that people ask me all the time. It's not true. You know, you, the Bible says to love your enemies, to do good to those who hurt you, to pray for them. Like it doesn't really tell you to tell them off. Janie and I have a friend who is struggling with a prodigal. And I love what you said about the really, you can't lay out a plan with how you're going to act, except for your heart that like what you just said, that you're going to display love, you're going to love your child. But she, whenever she knows that she's going to have contact with this child, Mm -hmm. she is praying. Should I keep my mouth shut? Should I open it? I've watched her grow in her Mm -hmm. love for Jesus because she says, I have nowhere else to go with it. And so as far as your parents go, where they were Christians, they were well known for their faith and doing things right. How did you as a prodigal change their perspective on what it meant to love Jesus? That's exactly what you said happened with your friend, to just depend on Jesus and love him more. 
So, and I could actually see that, you know, I could sort of see it happening mm-hmm. before my eyes that they were becoming more real people, you know, more authentic. There was less Christianese, less superficial Christian answers to the problems of life. There was more listening. My father and I disagreed about almost everything and he started to listen to me and we're very verbal in our family. (laughs) (laughs) I think that those who are close to us can tell if we love Jesus or if we just want them to be a certain way. And we just love our idea of how life should have gone. And we thought Jesus was going to help us make that happen. I don't think we can always tell, but that has caught me up short many times in my own life and my own relationship with my children. If they're struggling I start struggling with my faith and I'm like, wait, I want them to have faith and I don't even have any, like, you know, like what we want, we want for our children, something that we really aren't even able to have for ourselves. So if it doesn't send you to Christ, it will send you into bitterness and regret and all the things that Satan wants you to live in. I think uh, one of the lessons I'm thinking about my friend and thinking about the parents of other prodigals who it's almost like there's two roads, the road of control and anger and that results in goes into bitterness. And then there's the other road where it seems it's just as painful, maybe even more painful, the road of dying to self and of letting go of your child and your prayer is not, please change their behavior. It transitions into, please lead them to yourself. And their behavior is up to you, however they live their life through that grid. But the goal is that I want them to love you. I want this child to love you. And I can't make them do that. Jeannie, what, what do you think about that? Is that a transition that has to happen? Or do you think that's kind of automatic? That is definitely a transition. And I think it's um, daily or, you know, it's, you have to keep transitioning that. I know one of my friends, I asked her, you know, what would you want to ask Barbara? And she said, when I see my prodigal making progress to come back, it's so hard for me to let down my guard and trust, trust him. Like I used to, I often find myself holding my breath as if I'm expecting the worst with him. How do I work? through this. And I think, you know, what you're talking about is, is hinting at that, but that's a very, that's where we are as prodigals. Oh no, this tightrope walk. What would you say to her? You know, Jesus says in the gospels that uh, Jesus knew it was in the heart of man. So he didn't trust anybody. (laughs) I think what you're noticing, you know, when you've seen a child make a lot of bad choices, you're noticing the heart of people, right? But that's every heart. Like Mm. there's no actual reason to trust ourselves or our children or anybody except for the Lord Jesus Christ. But the fact that Jesus didn't really entrust himself to people didn't mean that he, he stopped loving them or moving toward them. It's just that his trust was in his heavenly father. Mm. I understand that that is kind of like a abstract thing to say. But I think the reality is that whenever we put our trust in somebody's change or lack of change, or they're going to be this way now, so I can have like a sigh of relief. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, okay, like I can stop worrying about them. Like, isn't that more about us? I mean, in my life, it is. I'm not going to say that about anybody else. And I 
think that these are things that you can bring to the Lord. I said before that um, it is so hurtful. There is a significant amount of suffering in all relationships, but I do think we're meant to care for our children. We're meant to keep them safe. And there's always a trajectory with any child. Like you have to give up that control. You're not in charge of keeping them safe when they're 25, but it, there is a significant suffering there, but that suffering is a suffering that you can bring to Jesus because he is our suffering savior. So he understands that suffering. So maybe the direction is to take your fears and your worries and your suffering to Christ and learn from him. I've observed and I've mentioned it already is the transformation of the parent whose child is a prodigal in the most profound way who they go from the, I don't want to belittle this, but like a mundane relationship to the Lord to suddenly it is the, the fire in their belly. They, they have to be connected to him. Uh, that's their lifeline. And they, and, and you are referencing that too, as well. I mean, we would love for you to give us a 10 step plan what I have observed is you're in a world of total uncertainty. Uh, your child come into your home and be just as kind. And you're thinking, Oh, I think, I think something good is happening. And then 10 minutes later, they're off on a tangent on, on something that they know is going to push all of your buttons. And, but what I also, what I got from your dad in his story is how God used this journey to reveal his own heart and to reveal so he had, he had to see the darkness of his own heart, the sinfulness of this, you know, and a lot of people looked at him and said, you're a pastor. You're such a good dad. You're all these great things. But Jesus opened up his heart to the sinful places in his heart. And there he discovered grace. Once that grace was uh, covering him, then he was responding to you. He began to respond to you through that grace. Mm-hmm. And the, the caveat is what you said, it's a beginning, but it's not a one and done. It's a journey of discovering more and more of that grace. What would you say about that? Oh, I absolutely agree. I was amazed myself when things began falling apart in our home. I was very dedicated to the scripture and all, and but I expected, you know, that I was going to, as I went to the scripture, find that God was disappointed with me. I knew he was disappointed with me as a mother. I, I, of course I had failed and just was terrified really of what that meant. And all I found in the scripture was overwhelming personal caring love for me through every scripture that I read. I saw his love. It was, it was overwhelming. And I was desperate for that. And I wanted to share that with my daughter and eventually God opened that door and gave me that opportunity to express my faults, my sin, my wrong theology, and have that time with her and share with her the great love that God had for me in spite Mm -hmm. of all of that. And it was Mm -hmm. precious, very precious, but there's no question that 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 pain pushed me. Thankfully, thanks to your conversation, I didn't run away from it. I did, you know, try to run toward it and say, okay, Lord, we're here we are. You've, You've got to I'm hanging by a thread and you're, you're the thread and overwhelming, you know, overwhelming response of, of grace and love. And that's the only way 
mm-hmm. that I can respond to her with the love that I'm supposed to have, you know, that I don't have in my own self. But it's amazing to see that love, knowing it's not me, you know, mm-hmm. it is because of, of God's love and, and forgiveness and grace that I can have a relationship with her, truly. There's so much more to talk about. So I want to strongly urge you to get the book, Come Back, Mm -hmm. Barbara. There's a new edition. It's in its third edition. Uh, So I'm so glad that the publisher believes in the message and it keeps putting it out there. Come Back, Barbara. We will have a link on our, uh, in our program notes and you can download the Help and Hope app, the Marketing Ministries Help and Hope app, and then you can subscribe to the Help and Hope podcast so you don't miss one. I hope that you feel frustrated by our conversation that if we just haven't been able to go deep enough or wide enough, there's so much more to this story. So Barbara, as we are wrapping up, I want you to imagine that parent who is hanging on by a thread, what Janie and just said desperate for somebody to tell her, I'm going to speak to a mom, tell her, what do I do next? How do I begin to restore the relationship to my child? I mean, all the millions of questions that a parent would have, what encouragement can you give to her for just today? Who is the most powerful person in the room? Because it can feel like your child is the most powerful person. Like they're in charge, they're making all the bad choices. Their words can hurt you. Their words can hurt themselves. And you feel powerless in the face of all of that. So um, I just think, I think it's Psalm 62 that says, you, O God, are strong and loving. Those are the things that I return to, is that the Lord is the most powerful person in the room. And his love is going to win. Love wins. And that doesn't mean I get to set the path for my child. I think you have to sort of wake up and go to those truths every morning. And also to remember that the Lord does understand suffering. So he's not just telling you to buck up. He's walking with you in your suffering. And um, so that's, that's where I would go. That's where I have gone. I can agree with you. And I know Jane would too, is that our lives are so crazy and up in the air and we don't know which end is up. Go to what you know is true. What we know is true is God promised his presence. And I love that. I never thought of it that way, that who's the most powerful person in the room. Mm-hmm. And when you're a child of God, it's he's there. We may not get what's going on, but we can trust he's going to bring beauty from ashes. As we're wrapping up, I'm thinking about the incredible beauty that God has brought from your journey. We are so grateful that you are still sharing your story in a way that is an encouragement to others. So come back, Barbara. That's the name of the book. Uh, You can find the link on our website at markinc.org or Help and Hope app. Love for you to download the app free at the App Store and follow the many resources that Mark Inc. Ministry offers free of charge to offer the help and hope of the gospel. I'm Sharon Betters, and you have been listening to the Help and Hope podcast. My guests today have been Barbara Giuliani, and Jane Ann Wilson. And as you know, we've been talking about prodigal children and we're in this together. You're not alone. God has given you a gift in the story of Comeback Barbara. And I hope that you will get the whole story, get the book, get the whole story. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast 
produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.